So here's the question. Uh, it's a biblical question. Uh, what did Adam say to his wife? It's Christmas, Eve. <laughs> All right, take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 John. <laughs> 1 John chapter 4. I've been wanting to tell that all day, okay? So that was as bad as I thought it was going to be. 1 John chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen, and I promise you the jokes just get uh, better than that. So 1 John chapter 4 verse 7. Let's stand as we read God's Word. 1 John chapter 4 verse 7. Like I said, if you don't have a Bible, there's one on the screen behind me. Here's what John says. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know or does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You may be seated. <clears throat> Here's the real question I want to ask you this evening is, is this. Uh, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Um, everyone has a favorite. Some of you are traditional and Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and It's a Wonderful Life and White Christmas and, and all that. But my favorite movie is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. <clears throat> It's the gift that keeps on giving year after year. You know, my family this, uh, this month have watched quite a few Christmas movies. I want to make sure to indoctrinate my children very well. And uh, so they have, to, they have to know the lines. And, and, and you may catch a few in the message here from that particular theological movie. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of theology in Christmas movies. And one of the things that I found as a theme is, is you watch a lot of what I call the, the classics. There's a theme that, that kind of goes through these Christmas movies. And, and it's not just Christmas. It's the theme of love. You know, the reason why Clark W. Griswold wanted a perfect Christmas for his family, why he wanted to put a swimming pool in with his bonus check, was because he loved his family. Another great classic is Home Alone. Kevin was left home alone. And there was these burglars, the wet bandits. And if you remember that movie, uh, he set up a little house of horrors and defeated the wet bandits. As a kid, that's I wanted to set my house just like that. My parents, not so much. But if you watch that movie, one of the things you realize is that, or one of the things that you see is that Kevin realized that he actually does love his family, which included his brother Buzz and his cousin who wet the bed. <laughs> Another great theological movie is the movie Elf, in which Buddy the Elf uh, leaves the North Pole to go in search of his dad, and he goes to New York City, and he finds his dad, Walter, and he ends up meeting a girl named Jovi, and they fall in love, and it's a great love story. And so you have that theme of love in that. But I'll tell you that one of the greatest Christmas movies ever is Die Hard. <laughs> and in this movie, John McClane 
eliminates Hans Gruber. If you remember that, ep- that moment, he saves his wife, whom he was estranged from because she relocated, but he saves her and saves the day because he loves her. All kinds of love flowing through Die Hard. <laughs> now, listen, I am not endorsing any of those movies, but I will tell you, I enjoyed them all, okay? <laughs> now, why is love such a big thing? Why is it a big deal in Christmas? It's because people are looking for love. Everyone is looking for love. You're you're looking for love. We're all looking for love. And unfortunately, a lot of people are looking for love in all the wrong places. Uh, We're desperate for love. People want to be known. They want to be loved. And and they want people to to care for them. And, And I think some of you have come tonight because you are desperate you want the love of God. And maybe some of you have come from religious traditions or, or no church background at all. And, and you think that the only way that God will ever love you is if you can be good enough. And you think that if you could just be a good enough person and do just enough good deeds and, and do just the right things that God will love you. Well, tonight, I want you to understand that the good news of Christmas is that God's love is not only possible for your life, but it's available for you this evening, not on the basis of your goodness to him, but on his goodness to you. And that's what 1 John is about. That's what the Bible's about. And so we see here that John is writing this letter. We've been going through this letter this month of December. And John is an older man. He's in his 90s and he is writing a letter to the next generation, wanting them to know Jesus and to experience Jesus like he has. See, the one thing about John is that he knew that God really loved him. Uh, as a younger man, he, he spent three years with love incarnate, Jesus Christ. And, and as he described himself, instead of using his name, John, he would often refer to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. It's not that John thought he was better than anyone else or that he was special or that he had earned God's love, but he, he basically understood what we should understand is that John knew that Jesus loved him despite who he was, not because of who he was. And what Christmas teaches us is this, is that God loves us not because we're special, but because Jesus is special. And so what's love got to do with it? Everything. And John's going to teach us two things about love. He's going to teach us where true love comes from and what true love does. It originates in God, initiates the response, and annihilates the problem. So let's unpack that. Number one, where does true love come from? Love originates in God. Verse seven, he says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. That is the ability to love comes from God. The definition of love comes from God, that God is the source, the only source for true and lasting love. That's why in verse number eight, it says that God is love. He is the author of love. Just as fire is hot and water is wet, God is love. It's who he is by his very nature. And so if you want to know what love is, he wants to show you and he defines what love is. And he also defines what love is not. Now in our 21st century American culture, we have a world, a culture that is obsessed with love. It's in love with love. I mean, the Beatles saying, all you need is love. And so our world believes that love is God, that let love lead your heart, let love define who you are. And so our world says that love is the ultimate authority. The problem with that is, is that it's subjective. And so if love says this to you, then that's good for you. If love says this to me, then that's good for me. And so if love says do this, 
then by all means do that regardless of what anyone says. But sometimes that's not love. It could actually be selfishness. The other thing that love that our world says about love is that love is just being tolerant. And so to truly love someone, our world says is don't judge anyone. Just coexist with them. Just tolerate them. As long as no one else is getting hurt, who are you to judge? Just, just let bygones be bygones and let you be you. But I'll tell you that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. It's to not care about anyone. Well, God is the one who defines what love is. And God is the source of all the love there is. All true love comes from God. And because God is infinite, he has love that is inexhaustible. It's an inexhaustible resource. God loves and he never stops loving. And true love is inexhaustible. You know, uh, we have three kids, uh, my wife, April and I, Aaron, Andrew and Anna. And after we had our first kid, uh, you know, we brought him in and, and loved him and took care of him. And then uh, a few, a few months later, uh, we found out we were going to have a second child. And uh, one of the thoughts that went through our mind was this, would we be able to love the second child like we love the first child? And so we were a little worried about that. And so eventually we had our second child and then eventually we had a third child. And here's what I'll let you know. We love them all. Now, we may not like them all at the same time, right? But we love them all. Because as your kids multiply, so does your love multiply. And that's the same thing with God. It's an inexhaustible resource. And so John is actually going to say in these verses that if you are a true, born-again, spirit-filled child of God, you're going to want to be like God, and that is you're going to want to love others. If you're connected to God, God's love is going to flow through you. Just like if a water hose is connected to a water supply, if you turn the water supply on, water will flow through the hose. If you are connected to God, God's love is going to flow through you. But if you have a water hose connected to a sewage line like Cousin Eddie, <laughs> then sewage is going to flow out. See, if love doesn't flow through you, then it may mean that you're not connected to God. That if you struggle being kind to other people, if you struggle to forgive those who have wronged you, if you struggle to be generous and to serve other people, then it may mean that you are not spiritually connected to God. Because just as I said, fire is hot, water is wet, and a child of God is supernaturally loving. And so the question that I'm sure is on your mind is this. Well, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. What is love? You know, we kind of use the word love as the junk drawer to put all kinds of ideas because we don't know where else to put them. And so we'll say, I love God and I love tacos and I love uh, Kentucky basketball and I love my wife and I love my kids. And it's kind of broad and it's kind of generic. And, and the problem is, is that that that, that the way that we use love is so broad that it's really hard to understand what love is because if you love everything, how can you truly love anything? So a lot of people think that, well, love, they say, Pastor, love is a feeling. It's a feeling of affection. It's something you fall into. Have you ever heard somebody say, I just fell into love? 
And it's almost, as, it's kind of a passive thing. It's almost as if you're a passenger in the car of life and love is the driver and it just takes you wherever it takes you. And you fall into love and you can fall out of love. And, and what starts as an ideal turns into an ordeal and then you want a new deal. I mean, it starts, it starts really hot. It starts hotter than a pepper sprout and then it just fades away because it's all based on feeling. If I feel like I love you, if I, if I have loving feelings, then I love you. But if I don't have loving feelings, then that means I don't love you anymore. But here's the problem. Yes, God created us to be emotional people. And yes, feelings do are involved when it comes to love, but feelings are the shallowest part of who you are. Feelings are the most fickle part of who you are. I mean, if you base your love on how you feel, how do you feel after eating a burrito at 1 a.m.? You're not gonna feel very loving. May have some gas. May be bloated. John Mark Comer in his book, Loveology, said this. He says, at its root, feelings are selfish. Behind all the lovey-dovey feelings is a narcissist hiding in the closet. When I say I love you, it can often mean that when I'm around you, I feel happy. You make me feel better about me. The thought is, is that if it's all based on feelings, then it's all based upon me, and it's really self-centered, self-seeking, and self-serving. But that's not what love is. Here's a definition of love. Love is a decision of the will accompanied by action. Love is both a noun and a verb. It's a feeling, but as Boston says, it's more than a feeling. Love is an action verb. And it's an action verb that's defined by self-giving, self-sacrificing, and self-denying for the sake of others. Love doesn't just feel something, love does something. Just as God doesn't just feel something for you, he does something for you. So where does love come from? It comes from God. Love originates from God. What does love do? Well, love initiates the response. Verse nine, in this, the love of God was made manifest. How have we seen God's love? In this, he sent his only son. That word only son can mean unique or one of a kind, no one else like. So here's how we have all seen love, that God sent his unique, one of a kind, no one else like son into the world on Christmas. And so that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And the ultimate expression of God's love is Jesus. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So according to John, love is spelled J-E-S-U-S. And so what you'll see here is that God's love didn't just feel something, it did something. It initiated the response, God's love made the first move. Now those of you, some of you are struggling in your marriage, some of you are struggling with parenting, or some of you are struggling with relationships, or something that I learned a long time ago that it's helped me uh, when I have problems. Uh, and that is this, is that rather than react, you should respond. And so what, is I, what do I mean by that? Is that when you react to something, you just mirror what the other person does. So if the other person is yelling and you yell, that's reacting. If the other person is cursing and you're cursing, that's reacting. If the other, while you're driving here in Naples, if the other person is telling you you're number one and then you tell them they're number one, that's reacting, Okay. Reacting is just mirroring what the other person does. Responding is a conscious choice to do something that helps the situation. 
It's doing something that meets the need to get to the real problem. And that's what God did. God did not react to us. God responded to us. And when God sent Jesus to the world on Christmas, it wasn't on a revenge tour, but a search and rescue mission to save us. See, we were hopeless. We were helpless. We were lost. We were sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard our despairing cry and from the water lifted us. Now safe am I. Love lifted me. Jesus came to our rescue. That's why the Bible says we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Love always makes the first move. We didn't find him, he found us. When we were loveless, God still loved us. What Christmas tells each and every one of us tonight is this, is that God loves us even if we don't love ourselves. Some of you don't love yourself. Some of you hate yourself. Some of you look in the mirror and you hate who you are. Some of you think of the things that you've done and you hate who you are. Some of you think that you are unlovable. And Christmas tells us that Jesus Christ loves you regardless of whether or not you love yourself. And that Jesus Christ loves you regardless of whether or not you think anyone else loves you. And you say, how do you know? This is how I know. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. That God chose to love us even though it wasn't easy, even though it wasn't convenient, even though it wasn't fair. God sent his only son. Why? So that we could live through him. Do you understand that all of us are dying? The government just spent a lot of money doing research. And you know what they found out? One out of every one person dies. It's your government dollars at work. We are all dying. Some of you are molting, okay? Some of you, you have traded your upper chest for lower drawers, okay? It, 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 you're falling apart. The biggest fears in our culture is FOMO, the fear of missing out, and FOBO, the fear of better options. Every one of us want to prolong our lives. Every one of us are trying to look for things to make us happy and free, secure and satisfied. Uh, we want to lose weight and feel great. We want to be loved. We also want to be liked. But as hard as we try, we're still dying. I mean, it doesn't matter how many things that you do on your bucket list, you're still going to kick the bucket. Because you can't save yourself. Christmas tells us we can't save ourselves. Only Jesus can. That's why Jesus says in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus came so you could truly live. See, Jesus came so that you could know God, that you could experience the love of God, and you can live the life that God created you to live. Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, said this, he says, I've tried everything, parties, women, buying expensive jewelry, nothing helped. There was no peace, just emptiness inside. But when I found Christ, I found what I had been missing all those years. See, love initiates the response. Jesus came when we were helpless and hopeless and dying, and he came to our rescue. But not only did he come to us, not only does love initiate the response, but secondly, or secondly love annihilates the problem. Love annihilates the problem. In, the, in verse number 10, in this is love. Now John's going to give us a definition. You want to see what love is? I'll tell you what love is. But before he does that, he, he tells us this one thing. Here's what love isn't. It isn't what we do. 
Love is not that, it's not that we love God. To be quite frank with you, we don't, we don't naturally love God. The greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and the greatest sin is to not love God, and the reality is, is that we really don't love God. Now, we don't mind using God. We don't mind managing God. We don't mind when we're going through a tough situation to, to pull out some Hail Mary or, or ha use God as some lucky charm or, or hope that maybe when nothing else that we have went to works, that maybe God will show up. We want to manipulate God, but we don't really want to follow God. We don't want to obey God. We don't want to really love God. We just want to use God. And the reality is, is that because we would rather use God than love God, the penalty for that is to be eternally separated from God. You don't love God? Well, good. God will give you what you want. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That because we don't love God, God is a just God, and he's just going to give us what we want, and that is to spend eternity away from him in a place called hell. And you said, Pastor, I can't believe I came on Christmas Eve, and the last thing I'd ever thought I would hear is that I'm going to hell. I mean, some of you came thinking this was going to be a Ricky Bobby sermon that you could just kind of hear about sweet baby Jesus and have a great zippity-doo-dar day. <laughs> and some of you say, well, pastor, I've not done anything wrong to deserve hell. You don't understand how awesome God is. Let me give you a couple of illustrations that will help you. Did you hear what happened last Sunday? Last Sunday evening in Wilmington, Delaware, a 46-year-old man got behind the wheel drunk. Now, that's a terrible idea. Terrible. He got behind the wheel drunk, was driving in downtown Wilmington, and ran into a car. That's really bad. Except it was really, really bad because the car he hit was Joe Biden's. How unlucky could this guy be, right? Now, think about this. You know, we are now in fender bender season. We're now in season here in Naples. And imagine somebody hits my car. And I'm not in it. Well, what are they going to have? They're going to have to deal with my insurance agent. You hit the president of the United States car? That is a federal crime, and you're going to have to deal with Secret Service agents. Now, what's the difference between hitting my car and hitting the president's car? It's the person offended. I'll give you another illustration. Let's say at the end of this message, you say, Pastor, I didn't like that sermon. And you came up to me, and you punched me in the face. Some of y'all thought about it. I don't know. What would happen to you? Well, you'd probably get a black eye because Eastern Kentucky will come out, okay? <laughs> Bible says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, all right? <laughs> Let's say after the service, you're wanting to race home because you want to find out who's winning between the Dolphins and the Cowboys, although apparently if you're here tonight right now at this time, you ain't a fan of neither, okay? <laughs> or you got it recorded. But let's say you're racing home to find out who's winning the game. And you're doing 80 and a 45, and you get called over by, you get pulled over by Collier County's finest. And the guy gives you a ticket, and you said, I didn't speed. He said, yeah, you did. Here's a ticket. And you punch him in the face. What are you going to get? You're probably going to get tased. <laughs> get on the news and be thrown in jail, right? Florida man is an idiot, okay? <laughs> Read all about it. But let's say you decide tonight you're going to drive up to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and go punch Joe Biden in the face. We don't want to hear no commentary, okay? <laughs> but let's say you do that. You punch him in the face. What do you think will happen to you? You'll be in the morgue tonight. What's the difference between punching me, punching a cop, and punching the president of the United States? The person. The higher the person, the more authority the person has, the greater the penalty. 
There is no higher, there is none greater than God Almighty. And one sin against an infinitely holy, awesome God deserves and merits an infinite punishment. And so you don't understand. And that's how you understand what love is. Here is love. Not that we loved God. No, we offended God. We were enemies of God. But God loved us anyway. Here's the real love is that the God that you had forgotten about hadn't forgotten about you. That the God you wanted out of your life is the God who is still wanting to be in your life. The God that you didn't love is the God who still loved you. And he loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. To propitiate your sins. What's that word propitiation mean? It means a payment that satisfies. Have you ever paid something off before? You know, each one of my kids, we had to put on a payment plan. We couldn't put them on a layaway, (laughs) but we put them on a payment plan, which means we had to make monthly payments until each kid was paid off. Now, there were moments that April and I thought about just not making a few payments and seeing if they would actually repossess them or not. (laughs) You know, just a couple weeks ago, I told Anna, we finally paid you off, girl. (laughs) But you ever paid something off? You ever paid a house off? You ever paid a car off? Man, ain't nothing like paying a car off. I think the devil knows when you pay a car off. Because the other day, I, you know, the other day I was uh, surfing on that Instagram machine and the devil put, a, put an ad for a brand new truck on that thing. And you know what I said? I'm going to do some sermon research and find out what does it feel like to be tempted. And so I clicked a little button there, sent me to a link and here's a brand new truck. And man, I was just drooling. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know what? man, I should buy this truck. Number one, it's blue. Okay. It's just like I told you, the devil's in it. Okay. He knew it. They knew exactly. Right. They knew exactly. And I sit there thinking, this thing says here that it'll get 23 miles to the gallon. I'm only getting 17 right now. So I sat there and I did some math, took my shoes off, (laughs) found that between 23 and 17 is six. So I did some more figuring and some ciphering. And I found out in about 30 years, it actually would make economic sense. (laughs) And then all of a sudden I remember, no, no, no. I paid that sucker off. And what it means is this, is that a few months ago, I propitiated. I made the final payment that satisfied the debt that the bank had on me. And now that the payment has been propitiated The bank is satisfied and I'm free. That's what that word propitiation means. A payment that satisfies. When it comes for the payment of our sins, we couldn't pay it off in a million lifetimes. So Jesus Christ, the righteous came, even though we were enemies, even though we hated him and he paid the debt. And now the result is that God is no longer against me, but God is now pro me. He is for me because of Jesus. God loves me and God is satisfied because Jesus paid the debt. And here's what's good news. Because God is satisfied in Jesus, he will never be dissatisfied with you. The Bible says that there's no fear in love. Jesus's love takes all the fear away. 
that Jesus came and he conquered our greatest fears. And he didn't just come to alleviate the pain. He came to annihilate the problem. And that's why Jesus Christ is better than Santa Claus. Now, before some of y'all get all willy on me here, I'm not anti-Santa. But I'll tell you, as a kid, that dude scared me to death. Number one, his whole scheme is works-based righteousness, okay? But think about this. We tell, think about who he is. He's some old man living thousands, hundreds of years, lives up in the North Pole, has little things called elves. This guy watches you when you're asleep. <laughs> and he knows when you're awake. Just like TikTok, right? <laughs> and this guy, he's got algorithms. He's got better algorithms than social media. And he has put people in two categories, naughty and nice. So like, how many of y'all are naughty? All right. How many of y'all are nice? Bunch of liars. <laughs> but Santa Claus has this whole thing figured out. He's got people in two categories and here's his whole message. Here's the whole message of Santa Claus. Try harder and be good for goodness sake and maybe you'll earn a Christmas present. See, Jesus is better than that because Jesus doesn't give you his love based on your works for him. Jesus gives you his love based on his works for you. The good news of Jesus is that we're all on the naughty list. He's the only one who's ever been on the nice list. And Jesus Christ went to the cross to pay for our naughtiness so that we could get his blessing for being on the nice list. Jesus took what we deserve and we get what we don't deserve. Jesus is better than Santa Claus. See, what difference would it make in your life if you truly believe that God loved you? If you really believed it, I think it would change everything about everything in your life. See, some of you, you come to Christmas and it really doesn't mean anything. It's nice, it's warm, it's holly and jolly, but there's nothing really there. It's just something that you do. It's an exercise that you do once a year. It's, Chris, it's music and it's showing up to a service and it's dressing up and it's, it's, it's drinking that nasty stuff called eggnog and it's nothing. And maybe that's where you are tonight. Maybe you came here, you know, this is great. You've kind of gone a little too long because normally when I come to church, it's about a 10 minute thing. We're in and out. Light a few candles, shake around, we're out. But what if tonight you can actually understand and know that God loves you? Would it change your life? You know, down here in Florida, we don't have very many fireplaces, especially in Southwest Florida. I mean, like how many of y'all have a fireplace at home? Okay, six of you, okay? <laughs> now, there's about one time a year you want one, right? So Tuesday, this week, it was 49 degrees. I thought I was gonna die. Anybody else thought they were gonna die? I mean, I thought I was gonna die. You know what fireplaces are here in Florida? Well, a waste of space. But, <laughs> but you know where most people have fireplaces? It's called the fireplace channel. Those are Florida fireplaces. Let me just, let me, just, just like this. So some of y'all, like I've gone to a few Christmas parties and people had this up in their house. 
And, and listen, you hear the you hear the crackling, and you see the stockings, and you see this, and man, y'all feel that? No, you can't feel anything, can you? Why? Because it's fake, right? That's what Christmas is like without knowing Jesus. It looks nice, sounds nice, but you don't feel nothing. But tonight, I want you to feel something. I want you to feel the fire of the love of God in your life. I want you to know that you know that you know that you're right with God. I want you to truly, truly believe. You say, what does it mean to believe? Well, you're practicing it right now. You say, how am I practicing belief right now? You're sitting in the chair. When you came in here, you didn't pick up the chair to examine it. You just sat down. You put the weight of your body into the frame of that chair and expected it to hold you up. Well, that's really what it means to believe. The Bible says, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Whoever rests their past, rests their present, rests their future, gives to Jesus all their sins, has eternal life. You know, just this week on Monday, I, a Tuesday, I had lunch with a guy been coming to church for a little while. He grew up in somewhat of a religious home. And, uh, and, and he has come and he says, Pastor, he says, you know, you, I've just gotten so much out of the messages. I said, tell me more, tell me more anyway. And uh, you know, flattery will get you anywhere. And, and so he was going on and, and, and we started talking about how to become a Christian. And I told him, all you have to do is just surrender your life to God and believe. And he looked at me, he says, that's too simple. And I looked at him and I says, you're telling me if the Bible says you have to give a million dollars in hula hoop for 30 minutes, if the Bible said that, you would do that so you could go to heaven. And he said, well, if the Bible said that, I would do it. And so I turned him to John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He read that, he looked at me and he says, really? And I said, really? And right there, then and there, he prayed and asked Jesus Christ into his life and put his faith and trust in him. And he looked at me as soon as he said it, and he says, I'm going to heaven. And I said, yes, you are. And then he asked me this question, can I tell anyone? And I said, tell everyone. <laughs> so here's what I want to say to you. It is that simple. You, you don't have to go to church. You don't have to pray to a priest. You don't have to say 10 Hail Marys and five Our Fathers and do four push-ups. All you have to do is just give your life to Jesus. And if you're here and you've never done that, you can do it today, right now, just like my friend Lou did. You can today. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, if you're here today and you want to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you pray this simple prayer with me? Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I have not lived for you. But today, I believe that you love me and that you died for me and that you rose from the dead. And so today, I ask that you forgive me of all my sins and save me. I surrender my life to you. Help me to live for you 
for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, for those who trusted you as Savior, would they make it known? Just like Lou asked, can I tell anyone? I said, tell everybody. Lord, let people not be ashamed. Let them tell of what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.